Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, November 16th, we're studying 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Great shame and vice will attack Timothy in the last days before Christ's return. But St. Paul calls him to continue in what he has already learned and what he knows, the truth from the inspired word of God. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Appold. Pastor Appold serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Yeah, good to be with you, Tim. So as we get started, let's talk a little context. What do we need to know yep. going into this text? Well, um, you could do, your, hopefully your, your guests always kind of do the total context of the epistle. It's to Timothy, so it's um, written from Paul to his... Um, how do we want to say it? His protege, he calls Timothy his son. Um, so his, um, I don't know if you want to say his right-hand man, but um, Paul often had companions in his journey. So um, you may remember the names Barnabas, who he originally set out with. Um, then he also traveled with Silas. We know that Luke was also someone who was a close companion of Paul in the ministry. And uh, Timothy was as well. So the, this epistle is called a pastoral epistle. It um, deals in a lot of ways with what it means to be a pastor, um, which isn't to say that it's only for pastors. I mean, every Christian should have a pastor, and um, it's not a secret. Um, it's not a mystery office, right, what the work of a pastor is, although, uh, Tim, you and I know it from the inside, um, but everyone has an interest in these things. So that's kind of the big um, the big overview of the epistle. We're going to be talking about um, pastoral ministry issues, but uh, uh, let me just reinforce that point. That's not to the exclusion of um, a non-pastor, of a layperson, because um, pastors are meant to serve in the church, and so their ministry always includes uh, the laity. Mm. Now, specifically, um, in chapter 3, just kind of a basic um, contrast is set up here. So Paul has just gotten done talking about um, the godlessness of the world and some of the character of, um, I don't know if he's he has in mind kind of false prophets, false teachers in the church, uh, but he's just gotten done kind of giving this um, pretty bleak look of things, how what to expect. Um, and now he's going to give Timothy a charge. Um, you should not be that way here's the better way. Here is the way that uh, my son should serve uh, the church. Hmm. Right. That, there's going to be a really basic <clears throat> contrast, and there's not a, there's yeah. not a ton to say. The, the, last, the last text was, was tough to go through, just one list of, of vices, one after another. A lot, of, a lot of really bad stuff that comes from false doctrine, the fruit that comes out of it. That's what Timothy's going to face. And here Paul commends to him, again, what he already knows, what he already learns, and, and we're going to have an opportunity to, to review back. You mentioned that the letter is a pastoral epistle. I think this text is going to be one of those where there's a lot of overlap between 
what yeah. a pastor can get out of it and what any Christian can get out of it. A lot of what Paul will commend to Timothy, particularly concerning what Scripture is and what effect it has, applies not only to pastors, it applies to any and every Christian. And we've seen that throughout these pastoral epistles as we've gone through them. Yeah, definitely. The um, the Certainly there are things that are unique to the, the pastoral ministry, right? I mean, we do, there are things that are given for pastors to do that aren't given for laity to do. But when we're talking about character and when we're talking about faith and love, these virtue, a list of virtues, um, that's by no means unique to being a pastor, right? Uh, there is no such thing as um, prof- the professional Christian class, um, you know, the pat- oh, well, they're the professionals, so they, they have to be especially pious. But um, us amateurs <laughs> who sit on the other side of the pulpit, you know, um, we, these things are of no concern to us. No, these are, these are Christian things um, that pastors are especially interested in, but are applicable to everyone. Yeah. Let's take a look then at what Paul writes. We're in 2 Timothy 3, beginning at verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. That is the text for today, 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. Pastor Apple, Paul starts here with a a long list. It, It counters with the list that he just got done, all those vices that are out there in the world. Timothy is to follow after something else. Before we look at the individual items in the list, just a, a brief comment on why does Paul say my teaching, my conduct, everything in this list is is his, that is Timothy. Why, why that emphasis in this list? Uh, well, I, I touched on this a little bit in the kind of setting up the context. Um, Paul and Timothy were not, um, it wasn't, it wasn't even just a relationship of like professor and student. You know, uh, Tim, you and I went through the seminary, and of course, there were, I'm sure you had professors who you were uh, particularly close with, who you spent more time with. Um, Paul and Timothy were even, uh, what would we say, tighter. They were closer than that. I mean, they were um, living together, they were traveling together, they were journeying together, they were suffering together. And so when he, um, there is a very personal aspect of his relationship to Timothy. Um, that's one thing. But the, the second thing is that when he says my, um, I don't think that we're to understand in that, like, there's some uniquely Pauline way of teaching, or there's a uniquely um, Paul's, uh, you know, Paul's approach to ministry that was so different than Peter or so different than John. Um, he's, when Paul refers to himself, and part of it is just to say, hey, you you learned this from me. You know 
how I teach, um, but it's also um, for Paul, the personal and um, his own personality is, I think, in some ways absorbed into being an apostle. So whether he says my teaching or apostolic teaching, my way of living or the apostolic way of living, I wouldn't see there really being a, a distinction between those things, you know? Yeah, and, and all of that, when Paul says, like, for example, my teaching, the teaching that Paul has is the teaching from Christ. Is it is it in 1 Corinthians? I think it's 1 Corinthians, where he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And it's, mm-hmm. I think, a similar thing going on here, that, that Paul is, when he says, my teaching, you, you fall after my teaching, he's ultimately pointing him toward Christ and all the gifts that come from him. Yeah, this is uh, um, Paul, the imitation of Paul uh, can sometimes, um, I don't know, people can can read it with suspicion, right? Yeah. As if Paul is trying to um, impose, like, like it's like a power play, you know, like I want, or, or it's like an almost, you're, you're suspicious that he's a narcissist or something like, oh, he's just full of himself and he wants Timothy to become just like him. Um, but what we have to see in, in any of those things is that we don't have to be suspicious of Paul on that. You can be, um, but you're going to misread and you're going to misinterpret and misunderstand what he's saying. Um, what he's pointing out to Timothy is there is a, um, there is a proper way, there is a proper um, form for teaching and also for, um, for life. And that's what he strove, Paul, um, speaking of Paul here, strove to imitate Christ so that um, Timothy would have a mirror of Jesus in the life of Paul. And then, you know, it keeps going, right? Um, Why does Timothy have to imitate that way of life? So that his congregations have a mirror of Jesus. That's that's how it always works. Right, and the pastors then he would have been appointing as well to serve there in Ephesus and other places in Asia Minor would yeah, have that definitely. same that same mirror image in Timothy. So with that, then we've got this list of well, there's nine things I think. Is there a I mean, we yes. can we can work our way through them. Is there a is there an order to these thing to these things that Paul lists is or is it I mean I, don't, I hesitate to say that the apostle would say them randomly, but is there <laughs> is there a progression through them or or do we just kind of take them one by one? Well, I think I think we can take them one by one. I I thought about that, Tim. You know, when you come to a list in Scripture, um, sometimes you can you can say, well, he listed ten things because there's ten commandments. You know, the the numbers oftentimes have a um, symbolic meaning of fullness or completion. So, is nine a, a number of fullness? I don't know. It's the square of three. Right. So that's yeah. good that's for whatever that means. Right. <laughs> um, maybe you could group them into triplets. But I, I don't know that, that there's nothing in there that I see. Now, I could be totally wrong on that. He does end up with sufferings, mm. persecutions and sufferings. And that seems to be then what he emphasizes uh, in what follows. But I do think it's it would be helpful for us to say, all right, um, Paul wasn't just trying to fill up a page, right? Um, he wasn't um, making a list just because, you know, nine is a nice number and like he had two things that he really wanted to communicate. But then for whatever reason, he was like, well, I got to get seven more in there. <laughs> so um, each of them has its own value. And I think um, if you kind of put yourself in Timothy's shoes, like if you get a list with nine things um, or nine virtues, nine um, actions to carry out, you're probably going to commit that to memory. That's not 
too much to memorize, right? Sure. <laughs> we can sure. do that. Yeah. Um, so each of them has uh, something unique to contribute to the work of, of a minister. Well, I'll let you just start going through them then, and, and, and grouping or, or one by one, however you want to start sure. start with it. He starts with my teaching, which does seem to stand, I mean, just looking through the list, my teaching mm-hmm. does seem to stand out, not only because it's first, but in terms of its content. He's going to start talking about like a way of living. Teaching is, is a, I mean, it's a doctrine. It's coming from the outside. It's what's been given to yeah. him. That stands there, I think, as a foundation almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you think of the the pastoral office, the pastoral ministry, um, it is a teaching or preaching. We sometimes say it that way. It's the preaching office, right? Um, and sometimes that word preaching has a, a negative connotation for folks as if it was, um, you know, being a, a lecturer or being, um, I don't know. So it, I found that just in my own ministry, but preaching is a good thing. And um, preaching and teaching here, um, Timothy has been the recipient of Paul's teaching, and here we would really emphasize too, right, that the teaching is, what has he been taught? He's been taught the gospel about who Jesus is and everything Jesus has done. So the teaching of Paul is what has brought um, life and faith to Timothy, Um, and so as he's followed it, now he's able to pass on what he's received. So yeah, that one comes at the beginning because I think that's the primary work of being a pastor. There's other things, but um, always the pastor is striving to preach and to teach and to inculcate the uh, the teachings of Jesus into his hearers. And and that that is the first part of this list. I think does help the contrast with the previous list of vices. All those vices that that came out, you know, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, etc. All of that comes out of false teaching. The only way Timothy's going to avoid those things and and fight against them, fight that good fight of faith, is by following the true teaching, the teaching that Paul yeah. has has given. And then, I mean, in this list, then, Paul does move from that teaching to a, a way of life. And again, I'm just sort of going off the cuff. The next two, my conduct, my aim in life, both seem to deal then with how that teaching that Paul had, and now Timothy has as well, is going to affect the way that they live as pastors and as Christians in general. Yeah, the, the purpose of teaching is um, certainly t- so that the hearers believe the right things, um, but, but what's the point of believing something is to actually put it into practice, right? So faith and life should not be like opposed to each other. Now, often because of sin and because of our own weakness, they are, um, but the struggle is always to say, because I believe this, this is how I'm going to live. So, um, you know, because of what I believe about um, about God's law, I want to I want to do these things as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a friend. Um, and so, Paul is Paul has not only taught Timothy the the right ideas, the right beliefs to hold, um, but also how does that actually get put into practice? And and maybe again here you can kind of contrast this. You did it a little bit there, Tim, with um, what came before, he's just gotten done talking about these guys who um, who are deceitful and who sneak in and are are um, that things being done in the, in secret and in the dark. Um, I think if you look at Paul's ministry, you wouldn't find somebody who's conducting backroom deals and um, doing everything kind of behind the scenes. He's transparent. He's open, 
and that is the I think in Second Corinthians that really comes out that this is the way for all ministers to behave and to live um, because of what we preach. It's not we're not trying to coerce people into being Christians. Um, it's an open message, right? There's nothing hidden. I just kind of lumped those two things together in, in English. My yeah. conduct and my aim in life is there a is there a nuance in either of those that we should distinguish a little bit? Sure, maybe the difference is between um, uh, a goal. Um, think of think of a runner. The runner has a goal in mind, the finish line, um, but he has techniques along the way. So um, I was a cross a cross country runner in high school, and you know it's a long race, um, but your your goal is always the end point. And along the way, you know, you have a different way that you're going to run up a hill, a different way you're going to run down a hill, you're going to handle um, turns and cur- it's, you know, maybe I'm making too much out of cross country. How much, how much strategy really is there? Just run fast, you know, <laughs> for a long time. But a sim- I think you could see a distinction there. Paul's aim, what was Paul's aim in life? Um, he talks in other places about the resurrection being his aim, the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. He'll talk about um, having a clear conscience. So if that is your your final aim, to have a clear conscience, well, how do you, how do you um, live on a Monday um, so that you can have a clear conscience on the last day? Um, those two things certainly go together, but there's a, a little distinction there. As the list continues, then um, my faith— my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. I, th- I think you're, you're right to see it building towards the persecutions and sufferings. I mean, and again, I'm just sort of, you know, trying to group things a little bit. It seems like starting with my faith, he does start to build in that direction. He's leading in that direction. I mean, keep, keep taking us through this list. Well, sure, faith. Um, so Paul's own, he's, I'm sure he, he would include his own personal faith, his, his own personal belief in Jesus in God the Father and the Holy Spirit, um, but you can also it could also be understood as faithfulness. Of course, that would overlap a lot with steadfastness. Um, but y- you can see some of these um, the virtues that appear here also appear in other places. And maybe we should just make sure we define uh, virtue a little bit, Tim, because that word could just mean like a positive thing, right? right? These are um, it kind of in the, the the tradition of ethical discussion, a virtue is a habit, right? A um, and a godly habit, we would say as Christians. So um, there is a habitual way in which you can respond in faith, or a, a, a habitual way that is a repetitive way, something that becomes almost second nature. These are part of who your character, um, and it's interesting. He goes right from faith to patience, which um, can also be translated long-suffering. So you get this idea of the ministry as not a quick, there is no quick fix as a pastor, um, or in Timothy's case, he's probably an overseer of pastors, a bishop. Um, there, It's a long haul of a job, and that requires um, faith in the Lord, That because you're not always going to see the results that you'd like to see. Um, it requires patience for the same reason, <laughs> and and it requires um, this steadfastness in the long run. Hmm. So with all of that leading up to then my persecutions 
and sufferings, he he uses that. Well, let's talk about that just in general first, and then we'll move into the specifics Paul brings up. Okay. You so want to talk about... Persecutions and sufferings, and then how Paul particularly experienced them in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Okay. Yeah, the... Um... So, so far, if you're just following the list, like, yeah, these are all things that, sure, you, you should follow. Paul's teaching, Paul's way of living. Um, but now you see that that comes, there is a, um, a cost. Um, who wrote the book, The Cost of Disciple? That's a Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer book, yeah. right? The Cost of Discipleship. Well, Timothy has followed that. He has experienced all of these things. He's participated in in some of these things to an extent as well and so it's not paul doesn't um he doesn't paint like a um an overly rosy picture of the ministry he's he's honest about what timothy's going to expect and and what every christian should expect i mean the the suffering under the cross is something that jesus talks about repetitively um it's something that that paul talks about repetitively too, and we'll, we can chronicle some of that in a minute. Um, but I just think it's interesting, right, Tim, that he says, you have been a close follower. You have followed that word for, that just gets translated as follower. Um, you've been a close follower of these things. You've had a particular interest in this stuff, not just the, what we would say are the good things, the pleasant things, um, but also in the hardships that come with with the work that you're going to be carrying out. I mean, that suffering persecution, it shows up in several of Paul's lists. I think it's, is it Romans yeah. five where, where he's listing a lot of good stuff. There, there's several places in the book of Romans where you get these, just these, these Christian catchwords, And, and then all of a sudden he throws sufferings in there. And I mean, similarly here to, to a degree where they're like, okay, I, I can, I like all this, you know, following closely Paul's teaching, his conduct, patience, faith, steadfastness. Great. But the persecutions and sufferings, that's the part where our sinful flesh yeah. rebels a bit. Yeah, and it's also the, um, I mean, this is all part of the, um, how do you want to say it, the imitation of Christ. It's all part of the, um, think of some of the things Jesus says, the way he talks about it is, you know, the disciple is no greater than the teacher. Mm. So what happens to the teacher is also, you should expect the same thing uh, in the life of the disciple. Um, or he tells Peter, right, um, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you have, I'm, I'm getting my words mixed up, you have no part with me, something to that extent, right? That the, the cross is not a, um, it's not an optional part of being a Christian. When I say the cross, I don't mean we're all going to be crucified, right. of course, but there are going to be um, trials. There is going to be suffering. And in, in those things, um, there's actually a great thing that happens, which is that that is the way that God shapes us. That's the way he refines us. And it actually is the way that um, the truth of his word and of our hope, of our trust, is actually pressed home, right? So um, it's, it's very common for a person to say after some suffering, after some trial, you know, I didn't want that, but I'm glad I went through it. There was you can see afterwards the fruit that comes from it. Yeah, I, sometimes I, I think I think that you were the guest that's that's mentioned this before. You've called it the crucible of faith that that in sufferings and persecutions that sure. it gets tried and tested. And and I think even here in this list with persecutions and sufferings capping it off, all the things that Paul 
has talked about so far in the list, the teaching, the conduct, the aim in life, the faith, the patience, all of it gets put into practice. It gets used in that moment of, of persecution and suffering. And, and God, I mean, he does, he, you know, I, I can't remember how you, how you said it, but, but sometimes looking back at the end, you see how the Lord used that to bring all the rest of it home. Not all that different, I think, from the way Luther talked about the way a, a theologian is made through the Latin terms, oh boy, oratio, meditatio, and tentatio, prayer, yeah. learning God's word, meditating, and then the, the tentatio, this this suffering, this persecution, that crucible of faith, it brings it home. And I, and I think that's true for the pastor, and it's true for any Christian. Yeah, the, the refinement. Um, you know, Scripture has different ways of talking about the testing or the temptation that a Christian goes through, and we could include the sufferings, um, not not necessarily the ones we bring on ourselves. We do plenty of that. Um, but the sufferings that come precisely because you um, you you take your side with Jesus. Um, or, I mean, the world will not recognize, we just had this on All Saints Day, right? Why doesn't the world recognize Christians? Because they didn't recognize Jesus. And so there is a um, you are set apart. You are, you're, as a saint, you are holy, right? You're set apart for a different way of life. And that's going to look in the eyes of the world, that's going to look strange at times. It may also be attractive to the world, right? There is an attraction to holiness, but it will make you peculiar. It will make you stand out. And one of the things that happens then is anyone who stands out gets <laughs> sometimes thumped right? Um, the squeaky wheel gets the, gets the grease. That's a positive way of saying it. But those who stand up get knocked down. Well, and, and this goes, I think, to the theme that we've seen elsewhere in this epistle, and I think comes up again a couple times, is the theme of not being ashamed. All of, all of these things that Paul's talking about, following the teaching, the conduct, the aim in life, the faith, the patience, and so forth, is going to bring persecution and suffering. And, and the way out is to is to be ashamed to I mean you said you know identifying yourself with Jesus brings certain things with it well then I'm just not going to identify myself with Jesus and I'm going to yeah. be that's the being ashamed of it Paul here again I mean I think this this fits in very nicely with that theme don't be ashamed of this Timothy suffering persecution is going to come don't be ashamed it's I mean it's it's worth it I know that sounds a bit cliche but it's worth yeah. it. I, I, I find, don't, I mean, I'm an athlete to some extent, not as much as I was when I was younger, but um, you, you, you don't join the basketball team because you love practice. You love being in the game, right? And if, uh, if you could even switch, if you're a military person, you don't join the army to do desk work, do you? I mean, maybe some, maybe some people do, but the, it's in the fight, it's in the game, that every that it's all put to the test, and that's the that's the pain of it, right? The pain of losing. It's not always fun, um, but that's also the excitement. And I think, you know, think about the situation of the church in America, um, and we you could even say in the world, but we're especially interested here in our own backyard, right, Tim? Um, I think that that we are. There is a. Um, I don't want to say that it's going to be a big fight. I don't want to. I can't predict what the future holds, but. Um, we're certainly, I think, entering this phase where there is going to be there is going to be a, a a marked difference between Christian a Christian and um, you know a non Christian view of things. 
those worlds, the world and the church are drifting more and more apart. And that's going to, that process is painful, Mm. but it's also in some ways exciting. You know, Mm. it's, it really is. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all these things that Paul's talked about being put into practice in, in yeah. our lives, the Lord bringing it home for us, showing us, proving the truth of his word. We're going to keep that conversation going on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, November 16th. We're studying 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. We've got Pastor David Appold with us. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, prior to the break, we were looking at this list, which Paul concludes, my persecutions and sufferings, and then he brings up specifics. He, he reminds Timothy of the persecutions that happened to him at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, Give us a little bit of rundown. Where do these happen in the book of Acts? What's Paul referring to? Yeah, so um, some of our listeners may be familiar with, uh, like in the front of your Bible or in the back of your Bible, you often have these maps, right? That list, you know, things like what did the Old Testament, what did Israel look like in the Old Testament? But one of those maps is is usually a map that chronicles Paul's missionary journeys. So these three cities, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, if you look in the book of Acts, You'll find these three cities mentioned in chapters 13 and 14, and this is what's traditionally called Paul's first missionary journey, was was through these three cities especially. Um, So these are are cities kind of all up along um, the the launching point for Paul's mission was from um, also a city called Antioch, but not the one that he mentions here. And he's kind of going up. He ends up in the kind of the, um, I suppose it's modern day Turkey, especially. But he's he's going around that northeastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. So just a little of the that geography there. Um, but when you read chapters thirteen and fourteen of Acts, you you'll find things just like uh, he mentions. You'll find sufferings and you'll find persecutions, which you'll also find that in all of his all of his missions. Um, so in chapter 13 and 14, do you, I don't know, Tim, do you want me to just go through a list here or do you want to talk about specific instances? Let's, let's go through mostly a list. So make sure we leave enough. Okay. I want to get to that part about scripture at the end of this text, but let's, sure. I don't want to give it too much short shrift. So give us more of a list or run short rundown. Yeah. So uh, maybe the first thing he suffers is perhaps in our mind, the, um, you know, not the worst one, but the, one of the first uh, sufferings is that um, one of his companions abandons him. So he's he's traveling with Barnabas, um, and Barnabas was actually kind of there first. Barnabas is the one who vouched for Paul when he was still known as Saul and the persecutor. So, uh, but 
their companion is called John Mark, and we think that is the author of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, but it says, it just gives very little mention of this in Acts, but he just, he decided to leave. And that abandoning, I'm sure, was part of, I'm sure that that didn't, um, it's not like Paul was just like, hey, okay, no big deal. Like these are, these are um, brothers who are working together in the mission to spread the gospel. And for someone to defect or for someone to abandon you, I'm sure would have hurt. Um, but then you get into the more kind of traditional sufferings, which is wherever Paul goes and preaches the gospel, he is um, converting people. Okay, um, or the the Holy Spirit is converting people, right? Um, but he but it's through Paul's words, and that elicits a response from um, the Jewish groups that he is converting people from, right? They don't like it, so you get mention of um, people who are reviling Paul. The Jews revile him; they are jealous of him. They incite. Um, it says in in chapter thirteen, they incite the devout women and the leading men in a plot against him. Um, they drive him out. Um, they poison the minds of the Gentiles against him. Um, so there's lots of um, subversion going on. There's lots of plots to take his life, and eventually um, he is stoned in chapter fourteen, and uh, they think that he's. They think he's dead, so they leave him outside the city. I think this is in Lystra. He's stoned and left for dead. And then it just says he gets up and goes on. I mean, it's amazing, right? Um, we were joking beforehand that the, the sufferings that we endure are like, you know, what are they compared to the things that Paul is enduring? Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and you could go through his, his ministry. I, let me ask you this. This just came to mind as you were talking about it. Acts 13 and 14 is before Timothy shows up in the book of Acts, before it would seem that Timothy is a companion of Paul. Is there is there a reason, is there something in these particular chapters of Acts or these cities that Paul would want to single out for Timothy? I know this is maybe a hard question to answer, but why didn't he bring up something where Timothy was with him later on in Acts 16, 17? Is there any insight into that? I don't know. That's a, that is a good question. It came into my mind too. Like, when did Timothy join Paul in his journeys? Um, it may be that these were um, just famous sufferings that Paul went through. I mean, part of the part of the mark of um, or, or part of the value of sufferings is that it does give a witness to people who are observing. Like, um, does he really believe this stuff? Right. You know, the, this guy who's preaching this message. Um, you know, it's one thing to be a, a teacher. It's one thing to go around and give lectures. But when your life is put on the line for it, um, that will reveal, you know, something of the truth. And this is the value of um, things like martyrdom. Like they do, it does impress the, the gravity, the seriousness with which the people who are saying, you know, we believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. Well, what if I threaten your life? You know, take it back or I'm going to kill you. And then you get these amazing um, martyr accounts where they say, well, God will raise me from the dead. You, you can take my life, but I'm not going to take back my, uh, my confession. So it may be that part of what Timothy had heard about Paul and part of the message that went around about Paul was not just here's what he teaches, but also 
And here's all the things that he suffered. Like this guy is not fake. He's not a phony. He's the real deal. And and I think and I'm, my my geography in this part of the world is not always the best. But I was looking back at one of those maps that you were describing, and these three cities are in in Asia Minor, as you said, which is where Ephesus is, and and, and that's likely where Timothy is at this point. He's in Ephesus, maybe not just as a pastor, but as a bishop, and perhaps not over just the city of Ephesus, but but that region as a whole. And so maybe geography is part of it too. That And, and part of that, as you said, the well-known nature of the sufferings of Paul, these are places Paul has suffered that Timothy is overseeing pastors there. Paul brings up those places maybe for that reason as well. I think that's, that's probably uh, a very good reason. Um, these, just like the, um, if you, if you went to the Holy Land today, um, you would, you would find like the Garden of Gethsemane, you would find specific geographical places where major events happened in the life of Christ. I think you could do, don't, don't they have those things available, Tim? Maybe your congregation has sent you on one. They should. You deserve it um, the, to follow in the footsteps of Paul. Um, and if we are interested in that, how much more sure. the people who actually lived in those cities? Sure, sure. So that these would have been well known even among the people and the pastors that Timothy was supervising or overseeing there as, as bishop in Ephesus. So one, one thing that Paul mentions that I think we should spend at least a couple minutes talking about, in verse 12 he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now here's one of those moments where, I mean, this is all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. That's not just pastors, that's all Christians. And Paul says that they will be persecuted. And we were talking before the break, you mentioned it just a moment ago, that the persecutions or the sufferings that you and I go through as Christians today, I mean, they, they just don't stack up to what Paul and Timothy endured here in, in these times. If I'm not being persecuted, well, what counts as persecution? If I'm not being persecuted, is something wrong with me as a Christian? How do we, how do we take this verse as Christians today in the times that we live in? Well, I think it's important to remember that um, even though Paul says this, he I don't think we want to take that to mean um, you should go out and seek to get stoned by, you know, you know what I mean by that, um, that that is not you don't pick the sufferings um, and you don't pursue, um, say, martyrdom. Right. Um, that was that was something that if you if you read the martyrdom accounts, um, it's it was not something that was put forward as like hey, we're all going to seek out a way that we can make a show um, and, and you know, go through martyrdom. So the sufferings that come, come under God's providence. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's not a question of, hey, I'm not suffering enough. Maybe I need to go out there and um, find someone who will persecute me and I can, I can kind of instigate it. Um, what Paul is, is speaking here is just of the, the more general character of suffering that um, leading a godly life, we were mentioning this before, is to, um, we would put this under the category of sanctification, right? To be sanctified means to lead a holy life. And that, that holy life is going to put you at odds with, within yourself um, within it will put you at odds with your own sinful nature, and it will also put you at odds with a fallen and sinful world. So the, maybe I would put it this way, Tim, the intensity of the suffering is going to vary from place to place and from person to person, um, but there will be some kind of persecution and suffering that comes, even if it is, you know, by all accounts, much slighter 
than what Paul went through. Right. We're not we're not going out looking for suffering. We're yeah. we're looking to live a godly life. And then the Lord yes. is the one who gives the suffering. I mean, but this is the way the scriptures speak, as strange as that sound. The Lord is the one who gives the suffering as he wills, as he determines. Our desire is simply to live the godly life in Christ Jesus, and God will take care of the rest, sufferings included. Yeah, I had a pastor when I was a, um, I think I remember this, I don't know if it was a confirmation day sermon or, or when it was, but I remember hearing this in a sermon as a kid, um, that when you get baptized, you get a target put on you, right? And that tar- the devil um, isn't interested in the unbaptized, he's interested in baptized, he's interested in those who are um, confirmed, he's interested in those, he, it, what difference does it make whether a non-Christian says Jesus is nothing? That, of course they're going to say that. But if, if a Christian can be made to fall, well, that's the devil's special interest. And so those sufferings will come, those trials will come, and the desire is to be godly, pious in the midst of it. Have you ever, have you ever seen in—this happened in my vicarage congregation in Garden City, Kansas, Trinity Lutheran Church there. It's, it's part of their tradition at confirmation that after the confirmation, the pastor— strikes the confirmand on the cheek. Not not <laughs> not hard, but you know, I mean just kind of taps him on the cheek as as a mark. I mean, I think it's kind of like this verse is talking about a reminder that the Christian life does entail suffering and persecution, which is a part of the confirmation vows that we speak that we would remain faithful even if it requires our life. I don't know, have you have you ever seen that? But I think it I think it fits with what what you're talking about. I haven't seen it. I've heard of such things, okay. but um, I thought it was just you know something that happened in faraway places in faraway times. But no, it, it's real. You're saying, tell where did this happen? Tr- Trinity Lutheran Church in Garden City, Kansas. Hey, yeah, yeah. I I always threaten to do that to the confirmation <laughs> kids, but they just laugh, and I've never actually followed. Well, through, now, so. now you know that there is an example for you to follow if you choose. It's in the Lutheran tradition, so we must do it. That's right. With with the tradition and and continuing in what you've learned, that's I don't know if that's a good transition or not. That's good. Verse verse fourteen is is where you get into this section that I think is pretty pretty well known among us Lutherans, especially as we get farther into what it says about Scripture. Uh, Paul Paul reminds Timothy again: continue in what you've learned, what you've firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Oh, there's, there's so much there, Pastor Appold. Uh, probably at least a, a brief mention is necessary. Paul mentioned in the beginning of this letter, Timothy's grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice. I think I got the, the order right. Lois is the grandmother. Eunice is the—I can just turn the page, I suppose, and look. Let's see. Grandmother Lois, Mother Eunice, those are the ones that taught Timothy from the very beginning the Christian faith. Now Paul reminds him of that again. They acquainted him with the sacred writings. What what are these sacred writings, Pastor Appold? Well, certainly the Old Testament, um, what we would call the Old Testament, uh, should be included there. And I, I would say as far as Second um, Timothy, I don't have the date in front of me that when Paul would have written this or where it fits kind of in the formation of the New Testament um, canon, but I would include any of the apostolic writings that um, that Paul would have had access to. Um, that's sometimes up for debate. People debate, you know, the different dates and whether Paul had, for instance, a copy of a, you know, an actual gospel manuscript or if he was more reliant on um, oral traditions that were, you know, not, we're not talking about the the um, telephone game here, um, but 
to what extent that was recorded, we don't know. Certainly, he has written other epistles up to this point, and I don't think it's far-fetched to, to think that he would include his own epistles. I think Paul had a, uh, certainly had a sense that his word, the apostolic word, um, was on par with the Old Testament scriptures. Does that answer your question? No, I, yeah, that, that's kind of where I was where I was going, and I think I mean this is maybe a, a slight nuance. In verse fifteen, the sacred writings are are that which Timothy learned from childhood, which is definitely the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if you know his his grandmother and mother would have well they they probably wouldn't have been unaware of any Christian writings that had already been written down by the apostles at that point. So it's possible. But then later, you know, in verse sixteen, where Paul simply says all Scripture. I, yeah. I think I think you're right that that it's not out of the question that he's intending whatever apostolic writings are already there, and I think most folks would put Second Timothy as probably the last of Paul's epistles, late sixties A.D., depending on where you date his martyrdom. Later, he, in this very letter, he's going to mention both Luke and Mark, two of the gospel writers. I, I don't think it's out of the question to say that Paul, when he talks about Scripture here is talking about more than just what we would call the Old Testament, that at least some of the, what we would call the New Testament, is there for him in that God-breathed scripture. Yeah, prophets and apostles, right? So Paul, um, he'll talk in his epistles, you know, um, he wants his letters. I think you can see this, the one that comes to mind is in um, the manuscripts that we have of the letter to the Ephesians. Um, You get a, uh, you get this idea that it is a cyclical letter, Right, so he he didn't just write it to the church in Ephesus. It had a um, a more widespread, a Catholic in the good in the good use of that word. It had a Catholic um, audience, and that would in, that would put it on par with what had come before. Right, and it's in that letter to the Ephesians where Paul talks about the prophets and the apostles, both in the same sentence as the the foundation, yeah. and Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. Peter, I mean, and I know this is, Peter puts Paul's writings on par with the Old Testament later. I think that's in Second Peter, where he talks about— Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, anyways, yeah, Scripture. For us, it's what we have in the Bible. So all Scripture is—well, I maybe before we get there, the first, this is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We shouldn't skip over that. Yeah, the, so we're going to be talking here about the— uh, origin of scripture, its nature or its author, and also its purpose. Um, so it's not just a holy book that you have for no reason, but it actually has, a, there is a God-intended um, use for this. And I think right here, he's leading into that with this, what is the ultimate purpose of the word of God in scripture? Um, it is salvation, right? It is the uh, awakening of faith. So it's not given to um, excite the mind necessarily, although it does. It's not given to be a, a book of trivia or something, but the goal of Scripture is always faith in Jesus Christ, um, and that is that is what our salvation is in. So then in verse 16, and this I think is where we, we know this, all Scripture is breathed out by God. What That, that term in, in Greek has probably been talked about ad nauseum, but it, it's, it's an, an important term. What is Paul saying yeah. about Scripture here? Yeah, the, the other way to hear it is inspired. Our, our listeners are hopefully familiar with that term as a kind of technical term. We say that scripture is the inspired word of God. It means that it is, uh, and, and um, 
the, the Greek is would especially be connected with the Holy Spirit. So you can hear that. I, I like the word inspiration because you can hear the word spirit in there. It is um, God's breath, right? Um, in Greek, the same word for spirit is spirit and breath are the same word. So um, it is, and this, this gets to the source of scripture. Where does it come from? Um, is it from Paul's own genius that he's writing? Is it any of the prophets' genius, you know, that they were just these super intelligent guys or, um, that, or, or I don't know if you want to say genius or just from the, their own opinions? No, it comes from God. Um, and what's true of the author is also going to be true of the author's works. So um, the Holy Spirit, as the author of Scripture, He's going to, um, what's the right word? He communicates his own truthfulness in scripture. So this, that could lead us into a whole discussion. I don't know where you want to take it, Tim, but, um, you know, why is, why do we say that there's no errors in scripture? Well, because the Holy Spirit is without error. Um, he's not deceitful, so there's no deceit in scripture. So, and, and we've got about six minutes here. I, I want to make sure we get the rest of this text, but briefly on this, the the teaching that Scripture is the inspired Word of God serves as the foundation for the other attributes of Scripture because of who the author is. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's that's definitely the point, and it's um, it's important to to hammer that home always because uh, as just as much as you have Scripture as the work of God's Spirit, it also that doesn't rule out. Um, the human authors, right? There is a double authorship of scripture. Um, so when you hear Paul talking to Timothy, it doesn't sound like a um, like someone else has taken over Paul's body and is now, you know, speaking through him. Paul can talk about his past experiences with Timothy, like we mentioned at the beginning, you know, continue in my teaching. There is this very personal aspect. Um, but that human side of scripture does not um, it doesn't overrule the divine <laughs> the divine authorship and and these things shouldn't be pitted against each other so that you can sometimes hear this people will say well uh, Paul is just a human being right so he couldn't be perfect he couldn't be without error so of course some of his errors slipped in there and we would say no it's breathed out by by God first and foremost through, um, you know, through men like Paul, right? God, God makes use of it. Another example. I mean, you can you can see say differences in vocabulary or style among the various yeah. authors, but that does not change the fact that it is the same author, capital A, the Holy Spirit working through these men to write His Word for for us to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. So, with with that as the foundation, Paul continues that all Scripture now is breathed out by God. It's also profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You get another one of these lists. So we got about four minutes here, Pastor Apple. Sure, yeah, and this this is a, a point that we should always make this point. There, There's arguments about, you know, um, the authorship of Scripture and whether it's with error or, or without error, um, and those are good arguments to have. you gotta, you got to do that. Um, but I love how Paul connects it to its purpose, right? He doesn't dwell on forever, you know, the debate about whether it's inerrant or not. He says, because it's breathed out by God, it has a purpose. It has a God-given purpose. And this list is a great one to, to have memorized, whether you're a pastor or a layperson. What is 
the purpose of scripture? Well, it's meant for me to be taught. It's meant for me to be um, corrected, to be reproved. Um, it's meant for me to be trained, to be educated um, for godliness. Mm. Uh, is there one that you want to focus on, Tim? Um, well, I, let's let's just go to the very last thing that he says in verse 17. The That, uh, kind of, I think, tying all this together, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Uh, man, we could talk, the man of God, certainly this is for the pastor, but I think it's for every Christian as well. All these things Scripture does for every Christian. What does that mean, to be competent, equipped for every good work? Uh, it means, here's another good technical term, it means that Scripture is sufficient. Mm. Um, scripture is sufficient for all of life. There is nothing lacking in Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no value to other authors, there's no value to commentators, to to the fathers of the church, to the confessions of the church, those all have a role and a place. But scripture is sufficient for everything that we need. Um, and I, I love that term, this, the sufficiency of scripture. We're not waiting for other dreams or other visions. We've got everything that we need. God didn't say, oops, oh, I wish, P.S., hey, check this other book that I'm going to send with somebody else. It's there. It's it's all there. Um and the, the purpose of Scripture is here, uh, a second thing, is not to just have the book that we can say, this is a holy book, and I know where it is in my library, but it's meant to be ingested it's, or digested. It's meant to be become um, part of us so that I, as a pastor, am equipped for my pastoral work, so that you, as a husband, are, are ready to do the work um, that God has given you, um, so that every Christian is prepared for whatever God has called them to do. With about just a minute, Pastor Apple, tie things together, wrap it up, point us to Christ. All of, all of Scripture is breathed out by God to lead us to Christ, right? Um, these things that are written down, um, even something that may seem like a kind of a very personal inside letter from, you know, a specific man, Paul, to a specific man, Timothy. Um, it's a wonderful thing to read the Bible and see how um, God uses the particulars of Paul, of Timothy, to address also the universal things. And this is a great reminder uh, for me at, at talking with you today, Tim. These are the things that we have received. These are the things that we should continue on in. And, uh, and the Word of God, which is breathed out by the Spirit, um, is going to continue to um, inspire our ministry and uh, the people who, um, who God has given us. Pastor David Appold is the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky, helping us this morning with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Pastor Appold, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable to bring you to salvation in Christ Jesus. God is still busy doing that with his word recorded for you today. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.